Hello, everyone. This is your host, Michaela Alcorn, welcoming you back for our fourth and final episode of Beats Global. Today's episode is called Grand Finale, and we'll be covering the vast topic of colonization and globalization and their subsequent impact on musical cultures. When it comes to foreign influence in musical cultures, the results are often long-lasting, and they arrive with their own growth pains. In today's episode, we'll discuss these growth pains in further detail, as some cultures came to thrive and blossom in their hybridity, while others faced deep confliction with their identity. We have three experts with us today who will give us some insight on these topics. In our segment, Let's Ask the Expert, we have ethnomusicologist Kirsten, who will tell us a little bit about South Asia and Bollywood's unique connection to globalization and cultural influence, as well as a bit about Europe and the Amerindian experience with colonization and how music was affected in turn. Next, we'll move on to our section, What Would the Shaman Do?, to discuss how spirituality and longtime traditions shaped the way music evolved, specifically in the Caribbean and the West, which will be brought to us by our religious expert, Mark. And last but not least, we have Fiona, an an economist who wants to tell us how the idea of capitalism came to shape North American music and the rippling impact it has had in places like East Asia. Each of these professionals have a lot to bring to the table for us today. So without further ado, let's jump right into today's podcast. First up on the agenda is Kirsten. Welcome to our show. Hi, Michaela. Thank you so much for having me here. Of course. We're so excited to have you here. So I mentioned that you'd be sharing with us a little bit about Bollywood and South Asia. And personally, I'm pretty interested in this. So what's it all about? Yeah, so specifically, Bollywood is seen typically within India, which is obviously a country within South Asia. And the culture within India is globally ubiquitous and focuses mainly on the incorporation of Bollywood styles and this is an Indian pop music and within traditional Bollywood music you hear the use of cymbals along with string-like instruments sounding in the background and the tempo is very high the energy is very high and you can definitely see this incorporated within a lot of music within South Asia and which just shows the hybridity and the incorporation of different cultures into many different musical styles. And again, like I said, high energy, fast tempo, and specifically the use of cymbals and string instruments. Aw, I love that. It sounds so fun. Um, So while we're on the topic of South Asia, what's the overall musical culture like? Yeah, so within South Asia, there's two traditional music styles that you'll see for the most part. One of them is Hindustani and Carnatic is the other one. They both have their own sound and use of instruments, but they still have some elements that are pretty similar and can be traced back to Bollywood styles. But overall, they each are pretty separate and they have been developing into the digital age to kind of show a sense of modernization and to keep up with the times. Okay, well, thank you for that. I think it's interesting that the two can vary so much in sound, so you can't really say that South Asian music sounds only one certain way. But what do places like Europe that have tons of influence worldwide, what about them? What kind of sound do they carry to these different regions and that give you that distinct, oh, this sounds European? What is the European Yeah, definitely. Sound? So there's a lot of European and Amerindian influences seen globally. And specifically, like you asked for European influences, it's more of 
the traditional stereotypical classical music sound that you just picture when someone said they're, says that they're listening to a piece of classical music. So they, the Europeans, when they immigrated over to America, brought their culture with them, all aspects of culture, whether it's religion, art, music, their way of life, any of that. So they specifically brought over the idea of Catholicism, which is very big within America and within European cultures. So with that came the use of secular art music, which was very well known in Europe. And this is the incorporation of harps, violins, and lutes, also bringing in the European scale system. So how they count their rhythm within music and basically just how they define music in general, they brought over to America with them and incorporated it into the new music in America, just their musical forms even, and their harmonic conventions. Typically when you listen to a music that, or listen to music that's now in America, most of it can be traced back to European influences and how everything was done in Europe hundreds of years before they even settled in America, which I think is pretty interesting to show that even in a completely new country, Europe still has a very large influence and impact on these other countries. And a similar kind of thing is seen within Mexico, within specifically within what's known as mariachi, which was discovered or founded, if you want to use that word, in Mexico in the 19th century. And this is using trumpets, violins, guitars, what's known as the guitar, vihuela, and just many other Mexican and European instruments and actually have an example of that to play for you. So I'll play that right now. Yeah, so within this example, you can see that the use of, or you can hear, my bad, the violins and the guitarone that was played, which are very much European sounding and gives it a more of a European feel. But then the use of the plucking sound of the guitarone and the very gentle and soft tone of the singer's voice is a very um, Mexican sounding um, tradition. So just the incorporation of both of them gives it a very Mexican nationality feeling while also giving it the European feel. So it also has a very similar sound to what's known as the ranchera, the waltz, cumbia, and corrido. And mariachi specifically is a very strong sense of Mexican nationalism. And also, when looking at other musical cultures that incorporate European and outside influences, it's, there is what's called Wayno. It is the most important mestizo genre in Peru, and this incorporates flutes, harps, bomba, guitars, violins, mandolins, and lutes, which, as you can see, there are a bunch of instrumental um, similarities between European music and between musical culture within Peru, so it's just the common theme of hybridity and colonization and just the migration of musical instruments and musical culture also with um, 
societies and people as they moved between countries. Wow, that's so neat. I love that, you know, something that starts out in one place, like the European sounds that you were going over with the Deuteron, how it just carries on like across seas, across borders. And it's like, you can hear something be like, that's very European. Um, You answered my question perfectly and I appreciate that. So without further ado, let's move on to our spiritual section. And now we'll be welcoming our religious studies graduate, Mark, to the floor. Hello, Mark. Hi, Michaela. I'm happy to be here with you today. Thanks. We're so excited to have you. So, Mark, care to feed this spirit and tell us a bit about how spirituality plays a role in Caribbean music? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I, um, I would try my best to do just that. So to start... Um, I'm just going to reference Bahamian music and uh, more particularly, I want to focus on a performer called Ancient Man to describe this cultural hybridity theme that we have going here. And uh, so what he would essentially do appearance wise when playing his music is he would wear a scarf that bears the word Kumba, which is a name of the sixth day in Kwanzaa, which is like an African um, celebration holiday type thing. But he would also have a scarf that would have Rastafari colors, which adheres to this Caribbean kind of trend. So by appearance alone, there's this connection that I referenced before. So in doing so, he would simultaneously show respect towards his African-American heritage and Caribbean neighbors. And um, further, the name Ancient Man comes from the spirits of Obia. And bear with me, I'm not 100% sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but it is essentially a Bahamian folk belief and practice derived from African models. And it's concerned with like these controlling powers that reference both good and evil. And um, yeah, so there's that right there, which is another Caribbean or Bahamian um, concept right there. And it pertains to religion. So yeah, essentially a large part of Bahamian music is embracing this African heritage that ancient man displays. And a lot of it is done through religion and spirituality. Okay, okay. Well, how about, how does that vary from Western culture? As we move West, how does religion change then in spirituality? Yeah, yes. Okay, so with North American music, as I'm sure we're all familiar with, um, I I think that the easiest example, well, first, I'm going to say that like Christianity, Christianity is like the religion often referenced in like music genres and all that. And like a holiday that we're all very well aware of kind of depicts how big Christianity is embedded in our culture. And that's Christmas. And like Christmas music's ubiquity just demonstrate this heavy influence that um, North American culture has in Christianity, as opposed to the African religions that Bahamian music often has that I talked about with um, ancient man. So, yeah, there's that. And then and then further, we could also reference gospel music which um, that pertained to African-Americans during times of slavery and racism. And they, and the songs offered opportunities for like a collective reflection among like the people that experienced trauma, mutual affirmation, encouragement, all of that. And that relates to Christianity and that, that is the religion that is often used in gospel music. So the difference is you have Christianity for Western culture with music being most popular. Granted, we have a lot of other religions with music, but that's the most prominent one, I feel like, as opposed to ancient man's example in Bahamian music with African religion and Bahamian folk beliefs and stuff like that. Okay, makes sense. You did a great job 
you know, contrasting the two, and I understand. Thank you. I appreciate so, it. Yeah, of course. So in previous discussions that we've had, I've seen you often discuss candomblé, which is a Brazilian-African genre. Would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, so like you said, it's a Brazilian music genre that has connections to African religion, which I reference with the Bahamian, but I'll reference it because it's a little different here. So in Brazil, Brazil specifically, they have African uh, deities that are known as Orixa, and then each Orixa is characterized by particular colors, songs, objects, animals, plants, etc., a, a, a plethora of different things. And then each the devotee of Candomblé has a relationship with his or her or her orixa, um, especially when in a trance, so when in the moment performing such like rituals. And then we and then also it's interesting to kind of tie the two things that I talked about before with Christianity and African religion. Um, each Uruxa is identified with a Catholic saint. And what's interesting about that is that was initially done in order to camouflage African beliefs and make Afro-Brazilians appear as good Catholics. And uh, that references back to colonialism because there's colonialism during that time. And it was done when other religions like this African religion wasn't accepted. And then what's interesting is that since then, now that like the colonialism is over in Brazil, Candoble is like a prime example of Catholic and African ideals emerging. And although the intentions of Catholic practices emerging into the African practices were initially done for protection, now they serve as sort of a syncretic, like religious practice. So it's interesting how those two came to be. Yeah, hybridity, you know, it's, it's quite the amazing thing. There's so many different examples of the way that cultures will mix together and you know, sometimes for good, sometimes for worse, but, you know, it is what it is, and sometimes it can turn into something beautiful, but now I guess we'll just transition to our last section, so last we have, hmm, I just said a prayer in this moment, anyway, this is our economy section, money on my mind, today we have esteemed economist Fiona Canis from Harvard here with us, hello Fiona, Hi, I'm excited to be here, especially since it's the last podcast. I can't wait to share all of my information with you guys. Of course. See, economy is one of those subjects that I've never been able to wrap my head around, especially in terms of the music industry. But luckily, we've got some help today from you, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start with North America, just because we're all from here. We're pretty familiar with the music industry here. And I think it's pretty safe to say that we don't really like think about the fact that our music industry has such this like capitalist view around it, but that is a very different aspect from other countries and cultures that we've studied so far. And um, like here in North America, we view music as a commodity rather than something spiritual or trance like, and you know, it's this tangible thing that we don't really place the same like spiritual value on that other cultures do but in turn this I mean it helps our economy a lot we see all of the artists who have made it big and you know all of the things that have come out of this you know modernization of music so because of this mindset we rank music and now that 
has spread to countries all over the world. They rank music as well. I mean, you can see, like, I personally use Apple Music, and sometimes I will just look at the charts and see, like, every country, you can see top 100 hits in, either like, the United States or in Germany or, you know, any country that you want to see the rankings in, and that'll give you, you know, their top 100 songs for whatever the week the month you know whatever it is and we also like this has kind of led to having award shows so just some examples we've got the cmas the grammy awards the billboard music awards and so many others that add to that capitalism of music because not only is the music something that we can buy and sell we also can make money off of you know having these award shows because millions of people tune into them millions of celebrities you know are involved as far as like performers and then people who are just in the audience who you know that it's it's this whole thing of like spending your time and money to attend these shows and be a part of that that has just become this huge thing here and that's not even to mention you know we started out with having radio and then kind of shifted into MTV. And that was like the, like one of the first, you know, like ways of spreading music on television. And then now we have streaming platforms that make it so easy to access any music that we want at any time, like Spotify and Apple Music. And this whole capitalist idea kind of is maintained because we will continue to buy and sell this music and so we are the ones preserving that. But I also feel like it's an important aspect of our economy because we have put such emphasis on it. It kind of like if we didn't have it, our economy would be completely different. And I'm sure the economy of many other countries, because of our influence, has, you know, they would be impacted by it as well if music didn't have that, you know, like monetary value to it. And so because of this modernization of music, I would say that the quality of it has gone down over the years because we have the idea of wanting to be the best. And you hear all the time about musicians who want to, you know, they go on award shows like or like American Idol or The Voice. Those are also things that have been added to our economy because of music. And so they win that show and then they become big and they end up creating music that will do well on the charts and make them money rather than music that they actually love. And it leads to popular music kind of sounding the same. You know, if you listen to certain radio stations, you'll either hear the same song like five times or you'll hear songs that, you know, they're all by different artists, but they sound very similar. And this is because people, somebody will create something that sounds good and is popular and it gets really good ratings. And so now everybody else is hearing this and they want those good ratings. So we also have the idea that has come about of music borrowing techniques from other artists and other cultures, like the other sections that we went over today discussed. And it creates hybridity in the music industry. And I think it's kind of like a give and take thing because, you know, we have placed such like a high value on music as far as profit and how well it, like a specific person will do or even like the economy as a whole will do based on the music we produce but 
it also, like I said, like good music, it will, it helps the economy and the, at the end of the day. So, you know, you kind of, it is a little bit of that, you know, there's positives and negatives to it, just like with everything else. And I mentioned before that our, um, the way we rank music and that type of thing has kind of spread to other countries. So I really want to focus on East Asia because it just, they have like their music industry has blown up. So um, starting out with China, when the People's Republic of China came about, there came censorship of the Shanghai popular song as well as other types of music because it was considered to represent capitalism. But eventually the Chinese government kind of loosened their reins a little bit and that allowed international influences to make their way into China and popular music began to blow up with the younger audience. And then the government saw this and they decided that they wanted to encourage Chinese pop music to grow because they saw how it could help their economy. And so that is a little bit about China. Now in Korea, I'm sure everybody knows what K-pop is by now because it definitely has become extremely popular and um, it's a music of Korean popular music and Western music. And so BTS is a really well-known K-pop band. And um, I mean, they've done collabs with so many Western artists like Nicki Minaj, Halsey, Charlie XCX, the Chainsmokers. And I mean, the list goes on. They have very many collaborations and there's a lot of training for the singers and dancers and this helps them stay relevant because they have that kind of aesthetic that people want you know their music videos are really good if anyone has ever watched a bts video and you can see like the elaborate dances that they do and it just is a really like it's aesthetically pleasing and so that causes them to have high production and they also utilize Korea's technology, which gives them a more modern sound. So that's kind of my take on K-pop and BTS. And I mean, I look at it from, you know, the standpoint of an economist and how it affects the economy. But I kind of want to hear from somebody who is a listener of K-pop and see like what their take is on how, you know, K-pop spread and BTS became pretty popular. Well, that's a good point because we've actually had a it's enthusiastic K-pop stan here on the phone that's been ringing our ears off who would love to awesome. answer that question for you. Yeah, hi. So I would actually love to talk about this with you guys because I think it's really cool to see K-pop and BTS come into the Western world. And Fiona mentioned that she wanted to know like what collaboration really got their foot in the door. And I actually have an example to play of a recent collaboration between BTS and a very well-known Western singer known as Halsey. So I'm gonna play a little bit of that just so you can hear the collaboration and the incorporation of both K-pop and Western music in one piece together. Yeah, so based off of that example, you can definitely hear that there are 
some parts that Halsey is singing that are in English, and then there's other parts that BTS is singing that are in a language that is definitely not English and that you that might be understand for some Western listeners to um, comprehend. But to be able to incorporate the different cultures within the same music piece, I think it's really cool for the hybridity and the incorporation of just different cultures around the world, I think gives us a sense of like community, even if we are countries and continents away from each other. I think that it's really cool to be able to see that between the two. And you can just definitely hear that there's Western aspects of it. And then there's also also K-pop and uh, BTS specifically aspects to this piece yeah I definitely think like from my standpoint it is a really smart move by BTS to do these collaborations because it does give western listeners kind of like a way to understand the music if they like that might be kind of an incentive for them to listen to it if they don't necessarily want to listen to songs that are in Korean that they don't understand some people might be more inclined to listen when they have these collaborations. So it's definitely, I'm, they've definitely used that to their advantage and it's helped their economy a lot in Korea. So I just think overall Western, like the Western influence on music has been huge and it has spread throughout the world and people all over the world can access whatever music they want when they want it. You know, like I said before, we have award shows and different music competitions that ultimately help the economy and so because of this the music industry has become much more competitive which is definitely a good thing but like I said the ideology is very different from other cultures we've looked at because it places emphasis on the success of the artist and how they affect the economy rather than their you know how the music makes people feel necessarily and like ties into their spirituality and um yeah, they definitely affect the economy a lot because we can see how big the music industry has become throughout the world. Yeah, definitely. I mean, economy is important, right? Everyone needs it at this point. And, you know, it's it's good for the economy. It's great. But like you said, it, it sort of takes away from the personal side of it. You know, people want to create what makes money, not necessarily what makes people feel things. Um, and of course, that doesn't apply to all artists. You know, there are some that genuinely do create soulful music that they feel from deep down. Um, and those, I feel like, are the backbone artists of the industry because, you know, at the end of the day, listeners are wanting a human experience. So, um, well, thank you. For future reference, never invite a Harvard graduate onto the show. <laughs> But we are going to start wrapping it up here with our fan questions. And so if I'm looking here at our Twitter, we have one from Super Music Lover asking, wait, so the Rastafarian culture isn't actually about smoking marijuana? Like it's chalked up to be here in the U.S.? Uh, I could answer because um, when I was talking about Bahamian music, um, I referenced the Rastafarian culture with the scarf that the ancient man was wearing. So, yeah, um, it's actually a lot more than just, like, smoking weed because um, it's more of, like, a lifestyle rather than, like, the stereotypical lazy stoner that many people think it is. And people who follow this lifestyle have long, uncombed hair because it's supposed to be in their natural state. Um, they also wear colors of red, green, yellow, and black, which are the colors I referenced earlier in the scarf. 
Um, they represent the life force of blood, herbs, royalty, and Africanness. And all these things combined are important aspects of the culture, and it shouldn't be overlooked simply because a lot of the members often smoke marijuana. Okay, well, makes sense. I'm glad you could shine a light on that, being our, you know, religious studies expert. Um, so I hope that answers your question, Supa Music Lover from Twitter. Next, we have one sent to us by Dishwasher Tings, and they want to know how the American music culture would be different if capitalism were at the center. As yeah, I think I can answer that pretty well. I mean, I did go like pretty in-depth with this topic, but I think overall we wouldn't have the huge music industry that we do today if we didn't have that, you know, like you said, capitalism being at the center of the industry. I definitely think we might have, you know, the artists who do truly love it, they would still be around, but it might kind of weed out the people who are really only there for the money. And so I don't know, I definitely, I do think it would be interesting to see you know, what it would be like, or at least to think about what it would be like if there weren't such that huge emphasis on, you know, what makes money in the music industry. Right, right. You wouldn't have artists just pumping out like hit after hit, you know, exactly. that one of them catches the radio's attention. Right. Okay. Well, dear listeners, that pretty much wraps up everything we wanted to discuss today. Thank you to all the experts who shared their wealth of knowledge with us. It has been super informative and interesting, and I'm sure all of our audience would agree. Um, We've learned a lot over these past few weeks, and we hope you guys have too. Finally, we want to give our appreciation to you guys and say thank you so much for listening and tuning in and interacting with us on social media with your fan questions and call-ins. So we're signing off for one last time. Bye, everyone. Yeah, bye. It's been fun.